to the Philanthropy Impact Podcast. Listen on for insights into philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Uh, Welcome to a Philanthropy Impact Podcast. Uh, Today we're very much delighted to have Darcy Gillies join us as our our guest. Uh, uh, Darcy, may I call you Darcy instead of Darcy? Of course. (laughs) Darcy is the founder and CEO of March. Um, and she'll uh, give an explanation a little later about what Munch is all about. But she's recognized as a thought leader and innovator in the philanthropic and um, uh, sustainable investment uh, marketplace. I hope I used the term sustainable correctly, but I'll ask you that in a second. Um, so excited to hear about uh, your uh, what you're going to talk about. And so uh, may I start off with... Um, um, can you just give a very short description of yourself? Yes, uh, I'm Darshita, Darshita Mehta Gillis, and you can all uh, refer to me as Darshi. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Munch. Uh, I will talk more about Munch later on, but if you're thinking finance, sustainability, and technology, then that's Munch in a nutshell. Oh, okay. Well, that was pretty simple. <laughs> and um, I'm on the board of Philanthropy Impact, so I, mm-hmm. I get the pleasure of, uh, yes, uh, getting to know a lot more about the sector uh, and contributing to it as well. Well, it's great to have you on the board. Um, um, you make such a neat contribution and um, stuff. That, plus, you also help us out in other ways, so it's great. So, responsible, sustainable, ESG, impact <laughs> investment, and the spectrum of capital. Um, would you like to take a crack at what your definition is of those terms? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try and be brief. Uh, these are not by no ways um, technical definitions, uh, but these are definitions of how I would describe these complex jargons to um, uh, an everyday person, how I would explain at a dinner table, for example. Um, so let's let's take a look at responsible investing. Um, So firstly, there's obviously traditional investing, which is invest my money, uh, risk return profile, invest in anything uh, and everything that's out there that's investable um, agnostic. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sort of getting a little bit more conscious about investing and responsible investing uh, as the next, next sort of spectrum. And here, uh, I would say responsible investing can be seen as incorporating um, environmental, social governance factors, but um, it's still very much sort of uh, based on larger risk return profiles. So it incorporates, uh, but it's it's still based on larger, uh, on broader profiles. And what do I mean by that uh, is an example could be a fund that invests in various company stocks. And these companies could be involved in tobacco or firearms. So they're not specifically excluding, but uh, when it comes to making those investments, these companies tend, uh, these kind of investment uh, products tend to take a look at corporate governance and ethical principles and so on. The next spectrum we go into, which kind of narrows the focus a bit can more. I, can I just interrupt before you move on mm-hmm. the spectrum? So where does negative screening fit in? Is that oh, uh, partially what you're referring to? 
negative screening. Uh, so generally, some funds will have negative screening as as a sort of caveat. Um, so I would say sometimes there is a gray zone between traditional investing and responsible investing, which could have just screens or negative screens, uh, where it will simply be sort of exclusions of certain sectors or um, certain risk factors that um, that um, that the fund might take out. But in general, in when you're when you're buying a responsible investment product it does not necessarily mean that it's not invested in tobacco or any other kind of sectors. And in responsible investing is in the broader sense of the word. It's investing, but um, the investor or the asset manager is, um, is really ensuring and looking at um, improving sectors rather than ignoring or not investing in certain sectors. Thank you. Um, then sustainable investing is just goes a little bit further. Um, and this is seeking opportunities in, uh, in ESG and, and also still alongside financial return. So these could be green bonds or funds that invest in renewable energy, uh, wind, solar power plants and so on. Um, then we look at another spectrum or another jargon that's come through, which is an ESG investment. So these focus on material sort of environmental, social, and governance factors um, and how they are driving, again, risk return. So it's very much risk return driven still. An example could be an equity fund, which is specifically looking at select group of companies that have very high rating on ESG uh, um, so it could be companies that have low carbon footprints or have very strong labor rights um, or have some kind of transparency or standards around how they are governed. Um, so, again, this is a very narrow pool, very targeted pool. And uh, and obviously, we'll talk more about sort of the challenges of it in a bit. But I think I hope that un that creates a nuance of what an ESG investment is. And then sort of just moving along the spectrum line uh, is impact investment. And how I like to describe impact investment is the fundamental driver of this kind of an investment um, is intentionality. And um, these investments are made with the aim to generate a positive and measurable social environmental impact alongside financial return. So again, the financial return is, is a criteria, uh, but sometimes, many times in an, what would qualify an impact investment um, is the intentionality. And these could be direct investments in social enterprises or even uh, general enterprises, but uh, the kind of enterprises that can provide um, uh, measurable, quantifiable benefits beyond finance, finance or financial return. So um, with the um, SDR, the, the Sustainable Disclosure Regime, uh, potentially coming in, is that going to really limit um, what can be an impact investment? And... Um, uh, does it mean it's more a discussion with the investor about what their intention is as opposed to coming up with a fund that's a quote-unquote impact investing fund? 
Um, I think uh, I think it's very important to delineate, um, uh, you know, sort of investment products, and then also um, there are various classifications, and and then also the understanding of uh, the client and their preferences. So I think those are, I would say, the key considerations uh, when it comes to sort of SDR. It's yeah, we could have a whole podcast just on that. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the opportunities, challenges that it creates, but I, I, I would say not all inv impact investments are included or excluded based on you know sort of how how. SDR is requiring to label products and what's inside the product needs to match. And, and this needs to be clearly communicated to the client before a product is um, adopted by the client. So that's how I would say is just being very clear about the definitions as per SDR and ensuring the investment strategies align with the disclosures. So that should start to address the issue of greenwashing then. Uh-huh. Um, I I would say greenwashing again is a is a big topic, but it it will definitely create alignments in the market around um what is being um what to expect from an investment when it comes to um green labels. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what are the trends towards uh, uh, impact investing that you're seeing? Um, I would say, uh, you know, sort of from a from being, you know, sort of in the sector, um, there's definitely a rise in a lot more sophisticated and targeted impact strategies uh, in how the funds are being created uh, in the last. I would say since COVID and since last three years, um, I have seen so many new funds um, that are climate funds or biodiversity funds or uh, um, uh, pro-social funds, etc. So we're starting to see very targeted strategies um, and and more nuanced products that are being created. Um, also SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, um, they were far out, you know, sort of as a government agenda, but we are increasingly seeing a lot of um, asset managers report um, against um, some of the, they are alignment with uh, standards like the SDGs. Um, and then we are seeing a huge rise in the number of asset managers and asset owners who are signing up to become signatories to the UK stewardship code, and um, and just one stat on that: uh, the U the twenty twenty UK stewardship code um, was uh, announced. Obviously, was revised and announced and launched in twenty twenty, uh, when about eleven asset managers had joined, and um, FRC just on Friday last week announced their signatories for for this year and there are 270 plus signatories um, so each year the number keeps rising and the FRC are quite good at keeping in check that the standards of reporting on stewardship are quite strict 
Um, it's quite and a, yeah, it's quite a Sorry. growth. That's quite a lot of growth over the last year or two. Yep, uh, and especially for a small country, relatively small country like UK, um, not in the in terms of size of the economy, but just uh, just as a as a little country, I think. Um, the code is being adopted by other international asset managers as well. So it's just showing sort of the global significance of um, of having structured ways in which um, asset managers can be evaluated in terms of how they responsibly, how or not they responsibly manage their assets. And, um, and asset managers are going for these certifications. So it shows that they want to be seen as investing responsibly is that client driven or compliance driven um i think it's both uh one is obviously compliance driven but uh for a lot of asset managers when they go for receiving allocations so receiving the money to invest um the asset owners are um Previously, they would stewardship used to be a tick box. Um, do you do stewardship? Yes or no, and uh, it's done. Now stewardship is no longer uh, just a tick box. There is uh, a whole sort of RFP of multiple sheets that needs to be filled in, and that means asset managers are required to say, are they signatories to the code? Can they give examples or case studies of how they are investing uh, responsibly? um and and so on so i think it's it is definitely uh commercial driven for asset managers because if they cannot say their signatories they are potentially not being considered even for when it comes to asset allocation fascinating so does that mean the whole discussion around harm versus good which has been existing in the charity sector where some charities are investing a lot of money is that moving towards philanthropists as well um i would say um uh philanthropy there there are nuances and de uh, definite differences when it comes to investment and philanthropy i think philanthropy is a lot more risk risk taking but when you look at charities or endowments that are um, needing to invest their funds ethically, uh, I think they have a lot more options on the table than they had before. But are they exercising those options? I wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, there has been a lot of push towards that. But uh, yeah, we probably what... need to commission a study to understand sort of how how that landscape has changed. Yeah. Okay. And donor advice funds as well invest a lot of money. Are you seeing that they're also picking up on this theme? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, are there generational differences uh, driving this? Um, very much so, I would say. Um, I think uh, millennials and uh, Gen Zs, who are also now part of the workforce, are definitely um, choosing to align their investments with their values. Um, I can say even as an employer, um, many of our employees do not uh, are choosing to opt into either sort of impact driven pension opportunities and or um, just using their savings to invest in uh, in impact. I also know from my colleagues and friends who have family offices and uh, they are they're quick to fire their advisors if they don't come up with something that aligns with um, 
with uh, what they're seeing out there. And I think a tip for advisors, obviously, and wealth managers and asset managers is um, this generation of investors is used to having information on their fingertips. Um, they're used to um, having sort of uh, uh, technical, um, they're used to having yeah ease with technology. Uh, they're not used to receiving brochures by post and, and so on. So I think there is going to be a huge difference, not just in terms of investment preferences, but also how they want to receive updates and, and how they want to track the growth and how quickly they want to engage with their advisors. That's a uh, was reinforced by research that we did last year where we did intense interviews of 11 millennials, Gen Z and women of wealth, all of whom were wealth holders as opposed to being part of their family offices. And they were very, very clear about uh, wanting to do it with their money, both in philanthropic giving as from an, uh, a quote unquote investment perspective and impact investing. So yes, I, 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 that reinforces mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's shift a bit and talk about your interest in, uh, in sustainable or impact investing and what your uh, journey was. And what are your plans for the future? Well, that, that's a simple question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try and be brief. Um, I, I think there's a lot more about sort of my journey on a personal and professional basis out there for anyone who's more curious. But I think um, in this context of, of this podcast, I would say um, a few simple things. I feel um, I've come to a point of almost sort of not being able to relate with myself that was 20 years ago back in India that didn't have money, that didn't have food to eat. Um, we've grown so much as a society. And when I go back to India each time, it's a reminder of how much growth India as a country is seeing and countries like India are seeing, but also how much more need there is, how much more poverty that still exists. So sort of my journey into this has been um sort of fairly straightforward in terms of um you know sort of starting a career in financial services understanding how money works and then just seeing that every money that we give we spend we invest has impact on people and planet and when it comes to making financial decisions um just making those decisions on the basis of risk and return is not enough um so that's that's why I created Munch five years ago to deliver technology and to enable financial decision making to be more comprehensive um, such that when it comes to investing or when it comes to giving money, um, we can be well informed in making those choices and also that we can join the dots of our efforts so that we can actually collectively do more than what we can each do singularly. So, yeah. So you started off five years ago with Manch. How's it evolved then from what it was then and to now? And yeah, what... well, uh, I think uh, as a startup entrepreneur, I think uh, we couldn't have chosen uh, a better set of challenges to overcome. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, uh, we had COVID, we've had the Ukraine-Russia war, we've seen recession, we've now seen Gaza and Israel. Um, there's uh, looming threats of yeah uh, a global shift. There's it's, the crises we face are multipolar, 
um, uh, we have uh, climate challenges, we have biodiversity challenges. When I look at the stats, those are the things that inspire me actually. When I look at the need for um, solutions like ours, um, then I, yeah, I feel like this is worth waking up for every day because the society, broader society needs it, but also people in, who are making financial decisions, asset managers, asset owners, investors, um, they all need um, technology to help them drive efficiency and drive better returns. And uh, yeah, and as a, as a byproduct of that, if we can deliver a lot more impact, uh, it's, it's an amazing space to be. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your solution at Manson. Um, so, yep, uh, we, have, we have two solutions. One is for philanthropy, um, where we enable um, banks, donor advice funds, um, large foundations, and collective groups to um, have a look at and collectively join efforts around making uh, impact-based decisions when it comes to philanthropy. So there's a um, platform that allows you to find profits, nonprofits that are aligned, give and track um, and aggregate the impact of all giving activity. And uh, after lockdown, we released um, our latest uh, solution for asset managers, um, which is called the Munch Engagement Tracker. And it is primarily for asset managers uh, and asset owners, family officers who engage with their portfolio companies to drive that positive return um, and also uh, track uh, ESG risks. Um, and if anyone is a signatory to the code, um, they have to report on this on an annual basis. So we have a all-in-one platform. Think of it as, uh, a HubSpot or a Salesforce or a CRM alongside with a task manager, um, like a ClickUp and, or Asana or Monday or whatever is used as a project manager. So we're project managing impact basically. Um, yeah. So technology solution, are advisors and wealthy people and others actually picking up on it and using it? And is it being effective and impactful? Uh, we've only launched a few uh, or a, a few months ago, so I would say like late 2022. And we launched this in partnership with uh, UBP, the Swiss Asset Manager. They have about um, 100 and, 168 uh, billion Swiss francs AUM. And uh, they were our flagship client. And since then, we were able to get clients in the UK and in Europe. And... Um, Actually, last month we had um, our first one week uh, client conversion where an asset manager found us online, booked a call. I did a demo on Friday. We signed a two year contract. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I think um, the knowledge uh, is definitely more increased in the sector, but also um, I think uh, the sector is realizing that they need to invest in operational efficiency. Um, yeah, there are many, 90% asset managers use spreadsheets to track this and it's not sustainable in the long run. Oh, goodness. So um, 
What is the impact on and standards related to investment stewardship and the role of collaboration? Um, I would say um, uh, it's a it's an opportunity and challenge. Um, I think in the investment industry is competitive, um, and uh, collaborative efforts can can also be sometimes um, uh, challenged in the sense of. Uh, investors don't necessarily want to share or become privy to confidential information, but also a lot of them cannot um, uh, participate for various reasons internal. Um, but we are seeing definitely a huge rise in, in collaborative engagements. Um, for example, initiatives like Climate Action 100, where um, asset managers have all come together um, to look at specifically sort of driving climate positive uh, uptake within portfolio companies. So again, these are not targeted um, towards a specific company. These are targeted towards broad sectors and and and, and the, those kind of engagements and collaborations really sort of create a leveling field, which is much needed as well. Um, I think uh, the UNPRI, uh, the UN Principles of Responsible Investing, they also have a collaborative platform um, where asset managers who are signatories to the PRI can co-participate with other asset managers on topics of interest. So we are definitely seeing uh, collaboration on broad themes um, like climate, like diversity and inclusion. And, and so on. And I think those are the right kind of initiatives where um, where it's it, it, it helps more to do it together than to do it individually. Okay, so I, we're just about at the end of our time, but I have a couple of quick questions. Go for it. Okay, great. Um, so underpinning a lot of what you do is the importance of uh, values-based discussion between the investor and the advisor um, and stuff. So what do you see as the role of private client professional advisors um, in uh, supporting this whole movement? Is movement the right word? Is that, can I use that word? <laughs> oh, well, let's call it this transition. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes movements can be taken on as quite, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anyways, um, in terms of, you know, sort of private advisors engagement, I think, um, I think it's a skill set, um, having conversations around values and linking them with investments. Uh, it's definitely something that uh, all kinds of uh, wealth advisors and asset management firms who have direct client relationships with will need to invest in terms of training their capacity um, to do so to stay alive. Otherwise, people might might as well just use robo-advisors. So the ability to have human interaction, human connection, and, and in live dialogue as to what's really happening is going to be crucial. And I think in this uh, preparation for how to engage with clients, I think... Um, there need to be various touch points all the way from onboarding to ongoing management and so on. And, and even in ongoing management, 
sort of earlier on in the investment journey, probably more touch points until the um uh the client is educated enough and is comfortable enough in being able to just receive updates. But probably the first few updates, they want to have a personalized uh touch point to understand what's happening with their investments and 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 so on. Um, I think uh, the sector itself will need to invest a lot in um, offering common language and creating a, a a a broad baseline so that it's not confusing for the investor or the client. Um, I think uh, at the moment with all the regulations that are floating around and the alphabet soup of compliances that need to be completed. Um, it's creating a challenge for clients. Um, and clients really don't need to spend time to understand regulations. They just need to know <laughs> uh, how is their money invested? Does it align with their mandate? And what's the progress? Um, yeah. That's fascinating because uh, if you think about uh, common language, but also consumer duty, STR, uh, being customer centric, there's a whole risk issue there that has to be addressed around these compliance issues. And um, uh, you can't um, ignore extending the concept of suitability discussions beyond just the current one to more values-based discussions. But we provide for, for uh, specialized training for advisors around that whole area and how to have those kinds of conversations. So I, I'm going to extend this one more minute. I'm going to ask you, have mm -hmm. I missed any questions that you really wanted me to ask you? And do you want to ask mm -hmm. yourself the question? I think the hot topic for everyone is AI and how does it influence the sector, right? Um, yeah. And I think um, to just answer that very quickly, I think uh, technology, digital tools, AI are game changers. And the sooner the sector can embrace um, how these technologies can help them drive efficiency, help them drive better relations, help them personalize their investment solutions, help them with better decision-making, utilize predictive insights that these technologies can deliver. These are going to be the, the backbone of the investment management practices of tomorrow. And the sooner uh, the sector gets on, um, the better. And uh, if I'm allowed, you can take this out if if it's not allowed. Uh, but we, at Munch, we are offering training to boards specifically on AI and the implications of AI to their specific sectors. So uh, we're just recognizing not just operationally, the boards don't understand the risk um, that they need to navigate. Um, and these are um, sort of, yeah, broad brush of considerations for uh, for anyone who is uh, looking at it through a risk and opportunity angle. Terrific. Okay. Thank yeah. you very much. That was brilliant. Thank you for mm -hmm. joining us today. And um, I'll uh, leave it at that.